the age of like 10, people would be like, yo, are you selling ganja, man? Are you selling weed? And I'd be like, oh, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably touching on one of the big things that I've noticed as the Black Lives Matter movement became sort of prominent in recent weeks and lighty events. And it was that tone in the media that you're talking about where there was comparisons with things like, you know, they're Marxist and anarchists and Antifa and a lot of terms that, although when you look at maybe some of these organisations in themselves, they're, you know, just doing whatever it is today, but in the sort of context of how the media talks about them, it's it's meant as a slight, it's meant as an it's meant to paint oh, you in a negative light, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, the, the media are one hundred percent out to undermine Black Lives Matter because it doesn't do well for their narrative for us to expose like what the reality of the situation is. And the reality of the situation is that they would love to make it seem like all black kids in London are like violent, knife crime offending thugs. Because yeah. that's the picture that they've painted. And if we change the narrative of natural facts and statistics and show that like you're much more likely to be stabbed by like a 15 year old white guy than you are by a 15 year old black kid, mm-hmm. then they really need to go back and examine like all this misinformation that they've been putting out and they need to kind of look at some home truths. So and welcome to episode 84 of Rebel City Podcast. This week we've got the distinct pleasure of having Barrington Reeves, who is a representative of BLM Glasgow and the newly formed BLM Scotland. Um, Baz is a great guy. I mean, we spent the first sort of 40 minutes of the podcast, we had it all structured out and we ended up just sitting chatting about the movement in general, but it was a really good conversation where we touched on a lot, but the main sort of points of how we sort of reform education and policing in the UK, um, what it was like growing up as, as he said, like one of like five black people in Coat Bridge in the 90s, um, how it's just really snowballed since he got involved with BLM while he was organising the protest in Glasgow Green. And we also touched on statues, street names, um, and how he would like to see the Gallery of Modern Art in Queen Street in Glasgow turned into a Black History Museum, which I think is an absolute incredible idea. At the end, we speak about the Scottish Black Business Fund and the aims of that business, and I'll leave that to the podcast because it was inspiring listening to him talk about what that actually is. Um, I just want to thank Baz because he's an incredibly busy guy. He's been on BBC Channel 4 been round all of the sort of media circus in the wake of the BLM movement in the US and the UK in the last sort of month or so and it's been difficult trying to get a slot and get together and do this podcast but I mean both me and Matt loved us and so much agreement and actual like reflection happened and uh, I just a, an amazing episode and I hope you all enjoy it. So and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Um, got a, an amazing guest this week. I've been trying to get this one over the line for a few weeks now, but as we were just yeah. talking off mic, you're a busy, busy guy. Um, but uh, yeah, Barrington Reeves, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us, mate. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, man. It's great to have you. Absolutely, mate. Um, so Barrington, like obviously you came, or Baz, as you want, you want to be known, like you came to my attention. Um, 
try to find the organiser of the BLM protest that we've seen in Glasgow Green. What was it like five weeks ago now or something? Three, three weeks ago, man. Three weeks ago? Fuck, yeah. man. It, it feels like yesterday <laughs> anyway. It's one of the ones. Time means nothing anymore anyway. Time in lockdown. We're in like suspended. I were like suspended in time, aren't we? Um, but uh, do you want to just give the guess? Because like, we predominantly go to people in Glasgow, but I think that um, your social and the social media that like we sort of reach seems very very different, which is awesome. But do you want to just like introduce yourself, just what you're about and stuff? Absolutely. So yeah, like I said, my name is Barrington Reeves. Um, most people know me through my business. Um, so full time, I run a boutique graphic design, branding, web design agency in Glasgow called Tugalis. Um, we do kind of all sorts of creative work with businesses in Glasgow. Um, work with people like Nike, Red Bull, and then we're like pretty heavily involved in places like Macaco, Ramondale, Pizza Punks, um, recently redesigned Slaters. Um, so we do that kind of stuff. That's kind of how we've, we've grown, I guess. That's why where most people would know me from. And then in the last couple of weeks, um, just started kind of organically, um, getting really heavily involved in Black Lives Matter, kind of only really originally intended to be setting up a Facebook event, um, but it kind of it just grew, grew and grew and grew. Um, we were expecting like a couple of hundred at the protest that went up to like a couple of thousand and then obviously that ended up at like eight and a half, well, Estimates are between eight and a half and ten thousand people turned up, uh, wow. and then since then we've just been doing lots and lots of kind of organisational work in and around Black Lives Matter and within you know, like Black community in Scotland, which is something that's never really happened before. So yeah, man, I think yeah, like a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing the last like sort of four or five weeks um, since the explosion happened has been like incredible, but also it's been I've never seen it before, like never seen like black businesses or the black community in Scotland be so prevalent. It's been amazing to see, I've got to admit, man. Yep. Yeah, it's the first time really that the communities came together under like one political banner for something. So it does feel like the kind of the start of real change. Like there's always been little pockets and communities in Glasgow, but they have always been very separate. So it does feel like there's been a real a real kind of like mental shift over the last couple of weeks, people are really banding together and starting to recognise that although they might live like in different areas, they might be from different places, might have different heritage, that kind of we all have similar goals and we all want the same thing. We've all been affected by the same problems and the same experiences. Um, so I think, yeah, there's been a bit of a, a kind of collective consciousness now yeah man cool one of the things that really like sort of confused me or not even confused me just like thinking that this can't be real is the lack of like uh, black influenced music scene in Glasgow like the the, the Scottish or the Glaswegian hip hop scene has it's, it's non-existent almost even though the artists exist the music exists the actual scene itself yeah doesn't seem to be there which is there's, so like, there's like a big hip hop like club scene. Um, so I actually run like a hip hop night in the Berkeley Suite once a month. It's like so. There's that. There's Peach. 
Um, there's a few small things, but it is very like club focused. Um, like saying there are, there's lots of like black artists, but yeah. they just don't get the traction that. The, the it's so strange, dude. I was talking it. to somebody, was talking to somebody about it, and I was telling them because I, I, I previously just played in bands for like years and years, and um, I was asking them about like what are the hip hop nights like in King Tut's, and the guy was telling me that no, I need to go and play with like indie bands, and I need to go and play with like metal acts, <laughs> just the same as what I did when I was in a band. I was like, how, surely there must be. Like, they'll put you all on at the same night, make theme the night, there'll be loads of people turning up. It's like, no, man, it just doesn't exist. It's, it just blows nah, my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, but it's always been this, like, it's always been very, like, fractured and, like, there's never been any sense of community. So, like, even when there were, like, rappers or, like, grime artists and stuff like that, it's always been very, like, fractured or away they want to do their own thing it's very secretive mm-hmm. it's never like there's never been like a music culture like there is down in london where they all like work together and kind of do things for the, the greater good of the scene but I, I feel like all the steps that were taken now through black lives matter like all those things are going to change like i think there'll be a, a big change in the attitude towards black culture within glasgow and scotland over the next couple of months Super. I think you're right. I think one of the things that when we touch on like community and you were saying that this was probably one of the first times in Scotland that the, the wider black community sort of pulled together. I think what kind of struck me the most is how sort of even wider the Black Lives Matter message was taken on and the sort of wider population of Scotland. I think looking at Glasgow Green and George Square, one of the things that are like was so proud of was to see that it wasn't just black people there asking it was the entire sort of community that's going to be something that is extremely encouraging for you absolutely man like we can get together organize strategize politicize as much as we want but really we do need we need allies we need we need people in the community to to make those changes like we can shout and scream about how much we want change but at the end of the day it comes down to people that aren't in the black community to make those changes because it's like problems on ourselves they're put on us and they're put on us by white people and really no matter how much we challenge racist people okay sometimes you might get the odd guy where you can get a bit of sense into them and you can get them round but most of the time they're not willing to listen because they're so like they've got their back up about you already yeah, yeah. we really need like we need other white people to be saying to white people like yo you can't can't say that you can't do that you can't judge someone based on that you can't tell them they can't come in here because they're black you can't like make fun of the way they look or something do you know what I mean so yeah, man. We're, the, the, the conversation really needs to happen like within that community because this isn't a problem that we can solve ourselves mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that's like you're talking about like the collective consciousness I, I think that that's something that you're seeing across the board is that people are more aware of that especially like in the message that being like not racist yourself isn't enough like you need to actively be anti-racist which is a, something that even to me it's I've got to admit, when I really think about it, I've avoided it because it isn't the nicest conversation to have with somebody that you've known for like 10, 15 years. Like, dude, that's what you're saying there is fucking racist and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> it's not yeah. a nice conversation to have, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people 
um, are starting to wake up to the fact that it's a necessary conversation and I think that people just need to find the right way of saying it to like their mates or their family but um, yeah. hope that's an ongoing process but where did you grow up man? Did you grow up in Glasgow? Yeah, Cope Bridge man. You in Cope Bridge? Yeah, was it, so like for, was it the 90s that you grew up? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I grew up in the East End of Glasgow with Matt. We, Matt grew up in Audrey and I grew up in Carntine. And I was thinking about this earlier on that I don't think there was one black guy that lived in my scheme. So, like, <laughs> what, what was it like, like, growing up in Coat Bridge in the 90s, man? Like, it, was, it was fucking crazy, man. Like, I mean, Coat Bridge town of like 60, 70,000 people. And when I grew up, there was like three black people. Do you know what I mean? Like most wow. most of the people that Alex spoke to, like, had never like met a black person, never had any sort of like meaningful interaction with a black person, never had a conversation with one. So it was like a lot, a lot of racism. Just like ignorant racism though, do you know what I mean? And I was a kid at yeah. the time, so you'd like have kids that would be like, Oh, I don't want to play with him because he's black or like or just like like pure ignorance, like, yo, like why do you look like that? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it's just like Ouch. it was. It was crazy, but it's, it's changed a lot now. Like you can see, like so much more like Caribbean, African communities here now. So I think like there has been a shift in the attitudes to racism. But it's funny because mm. it's still there. Although the populations have grown massively, I feel like now it's like people have decided to be racist whereas they just used to be ignorant. Yeah, uh, so it feels like yeah, definitely with all the information we've got out there on it, it does feel yeah, it's like, like a choice. Than yeah, a, like there's no, excuse, there's no excuse there. now. Like I can almost like ex- like the people that were like said shit to me when I was like ten, eleven, twelve years old. Like I can, I can forgive it. I can reason with it. Like they never, they, they don't have access to the information that we have now. They were only informed by like what you would see in TV, how people were portrayed in, like, the media, so... And do you know what I mean? Like, the media, like, basically would just love to paint all black people as, like, gun-toting drug dealers. So that's, like, what I would get. From the age of, like, 10, people would be like, yo, are you selling ganja, man? Are you selling weed? And I'd be like, well, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably touching on one of the big things that I've noticed as the Black Lives Matter movement became sort of prominent in recent weeks and light events. And it was that tone in the media that you're talking about where there was comparisons with things like, you know, Marxist and anarchists and Antifa and a lot of terms that, although when you look at maybe some of these organisations in themselves, they're, you know, just doing whatever it is today, but in the sort of context of how the media talks about them, it's it's meant as a slight. It's meant as an. It's meant to paint oh, you in a negative light. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, the, the media are one hundred percent out to undermine Black Lives Matter because it doesn't do well for their narrative for us to expose like what the reality of the situation is. And the reality mm. of the situation is that they would love to make it seem like all black kids in London are like violent knife crime offending thugs because yeah. that's the picture that they've painted. And if we change the narrative of actual facts and statistics and show that like you're much more likely to be stabbed by like a fifteen year old white guy than you are by a fifteen year old black kid, mm-hmm. then they really need to go back and examine like all this misinformation that they've been putting out and they need to kind of look at some home truths 
So it's, yep. it's much easier for them to say, oh, frame things like, oh, black on black crime, or like black knife crime is to the roof. Um, it's, it's so much easier for them to do that than to essentially own up to the fact that they've been massively dishonest about black immigrants, black culture, black people for as long as this has happened, as long as mm-hmm. they've been in the media, they've been painting them in a, such a negative light. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting one because like, we're organising now, putting out our own media. Like, there's so You have access to to follow whatever like influencers and people on social media you have now. So people kind of they have these two parallels where you have like what the media shows you and what they what they want to put across and now people are kind of marking that against their own experiences of people and kind of putting two together being like, This doesn't this doesn't really fit. Like what you're yeah. telling us isn't right. Yeah. So Absolutely man. I think how's it felt knowing that? Because I think anybody with a sense of consciousness or anybody that sort of analyzes what goes on in the mainstream media knows it's fucking bullshit, that knows that the, the narratives that they paint are immigrants, whether it be the um, Caribbean immigrants or the Polish immigrants, so they, they do it in a deliberate way and we can actually see that sort of process that they go through and I think that what we're talking about is, is that people don't need this the mainstream media anymore because we've got all the information that we need um, as long as you, you try and do your best not to engage with disinformation uh, or um, bad information but I think like how's it felt having to deal with the likes of BBC Channel 4 like the, the sort of provocateurs of this sort of bullshit narrative for the last sort of 50, 60 years in the UK? Yeah it's definitely been interesting. BBC and Channel 4 have been really good. They've very much like let us kind of control the narrative and coming to us and asking like what we think about things rather than kind of controlling the story on their own. Um, mm-hmm. But we are seeing people like The Sun run stories with Black Lives Matter. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, this is like, we're in some of these situations. Like we're seeing like black people be murdered like almost as a direct result of the, the, it's just hate that they put out like at the yeah, end yeah. of the day like and you've seen all these headlines like immigrants coming here stealing jobs like immigrants going to cause breakdown of the country like borders flooded by immigrants like because they feel like it makes good headlines and then like an immigrant will get murdered and they're like oh how has this happened to our great country and you're like it's happened because you've yeah. stoked Flames of like racism for years and years, so it is it is funny watching them kind of try to play both sides of it. But yeah. at the end of the day, like it's terrifying because so many people still rely on these news sources, and it's easy for me and you to say, "Oh, yeah, you can get your news for from whatever you want, and you have mm-hmm. access to all, all this information now." But things like Brexit like the election, general election, they show like just how much power there still is in these traditional media outlets. Yeah. People are not like some people are not looking elsewhere. Like or they think that everyone online is just like a mad social justice warrior. Do you know what I mean it seems yeah. like, like such a yeah. big parallel to them that they get uh, these people of, are no these people are no going and bending the knee you know the Feet of guys like Rupert Murdoch because he's ineffective. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys know what they're know what they're doing, man. They know how to keep people 
control, they know how to keep people on the narrative that they want to spin. So, yeah, as a as funny, but it's, it's equally kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And I think it does. It plays on something that I think in itself is intrinsically racist because when we talk about Black Lives Matter in the context of groups that the media tries to paint in you know unfavorable terms, it kind of is a direct attack on the main message, and that's you're you're asking for equality. You know what I mean? And it, it for me kind of paints the notion that black equality is something that we should be intrinsically scared of because of the terms in which we talk about it and like it's a really subtle thing for me but it's also a really important thing that we need to be completely aware of I think because it's obviously not true you know what I mean um, do you feel like that um, being like I don't, I don't know man like I, I've, how can how, how can people looking for equal rights become some kind of like Marxist conspiracy like have you received any <laughs> Uh, had, your bank account uh, for George Soros or anything like that. Like, I've, had people, I've had people, I've had people on Twitter, like tweeting like Black Lives Matter is like a Marxist, communist, New World Order establishment funded by George Soros. Barrington Reeves is their leader, and Nicholas Sturgeon <laughs> is his puppet. Do you know? What I mean, I'm just like, how the fuck did someone come to that conclusion in their own head? Do you know what I mean? But these people genuinely believe this, and like. I've got like a few like just for I don't really like being inside my own echo chamber too much. So I've got a few like crazy right wing nut jobs that I keep about on Facebook just to kind of see what they're saying <laughs> and see what's happening in their sphere as well. And genuinely, man, they like it, it ranges from everything like it is New World Order um, that it's been implanted by Islam to overthrow the Western world. Um, that it has been set up to take the to divert people away from COVID. Um, but it's funny because these are the same people that don't believe that COVID, COVID exists. exists. I would yeah, say. But now somehow Black Lives Matter is like a movement that's set up to to distract you from how deadly it is. Like, it's just it's insane. Like anything that's basically even crazier not. when you consider how disproportionately black people have been affected both in the UK and elsewhere <laughs> by so Black Lives Matter is a conspiracy to further the COVID deaths of black people like it's that's yeah. it's mental gymnastics of the highest order you know, oh yeah so we've talked no, conspiracy a few no times but I don't, reason. Think, I, I don't think we've ever had anybody on that was actually like the centre of conspiracy theories so this is a new oh yeah it's the first time I've been at the front of one and it's it was bizarre honestly I just don't know how these people like end up at these with these conclusions um but even I, mean, like, I think like i'm like you and i've said this on the podcast before i've got a couple of proper right-wing nut jobs that i keep about just to so that i've got my finger on the pulse of whether what's going on in that side of the the sort of political sphere and yeah. and also so that i know what discourse is kicking about and and i love a conspiracy theory as well um but i think like when they start like how do these people get to these conclusions well they're basically like i've seen links on twitter where you click on it and it's talking about how black lives matter was started by this foundation that's funded by george soros and and then you click on it and it's like basically like some kind of somebody's come up with us in their basement they've typed it yeah. up they've put it in the internet real and, third and, eye world pyramid news exactly like those, exactly yeah those, those news 
And if you ever try and go, well, if you look at this article and you go, well, that's the Guardian and that's mainstream and nah, we can't trust that at yeah. all. It needs to come for YouTube. This YouTube guy, he knows what's going on in the world. Whereas exactly. these people that have been indoctrined through your education system into the mainstream media, they know nothing of the world. It's, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. What I've always found is so funny is that like we think the mainstream media is so heavily right wing and we think it is like very racist, yeah. very classist, like it's designed to like empower rich people, keep people like sedated and as just acting as part of capitalism. But the people on the right think it's super woke. They think it is really like left leaning. They think they're trying yeah. to push like PC culture and cancel culture and it's funny how we both think such wildly different things about the same establishments because we're both uh, watching the same articles from them. Uh, um, I probably interpret like, in the same context differently most of the time as well. Yeah, eventually, kind of always wanted to just like level with like some right wing nut job and like sit down and go over a few articles and be like, "Right, you think this one's left wing." I think it's right wing. Like, where are you getting your side from? That's it, man. It comes, comes down to people. I mean, I think the, the Flat Earth documentary on Netflix demonstrated it beautifully. And also, there's been a couple of sort of vice documentaries that demonstrate it. That they, a lot of them don't actually believe what they're saying. They, it's about their community and their identity. And, yeah, and they just kind of want to be part of something. And if that something is like, like Peyton people are like not shagging then. a statue then <laughs> so just, be it yeah that's just the way they're going to go so we've touched on the fact that you were involved in um, the Glasgow Green uh, Black Lives Matter protest and that you'd kind of really just started out with the intention of you know putting a Facebook meeting together and it's kind of exploded so I mean I don't know if maybe you can talk us through what it was like to, to you know see that building grow the way it did as quickly as it did yeah, absolutely, man. So I've actually, like I said, I like run a, a hip-hop night in Glasgow and I've always kind of worked in the events industry and the club industry in Glasgow. So when it came to kind of launching the event, it was such a like quick turnaround because I knew so many of like the infrastructural parts that we had to put together that I think maybe other events hadn't done which is why I really like gained the traction that it did so quickly so within like the kind of first two days I think we had five days overall to organize it so on like day one we had organized like um Ira or like DJ from Magic City inherited a sound system from his dad so he said he would bring the sound system down so we sorted out tech sound system generators went and done a recce of the park and set out where we were going to we were going to set it up and then the kind of days after that we organized things like getting a team of first aiders we had like seven first aiders then we had teams of stewards who were all like SIA qualified obviously not down in a legal capacity but like people that had experience of stewarding big outdoor festivals like Pride, Riverside, things like that um, yeah we got paramed two paramedics involved, um, and then just like other smaller things like sorting out like water donations, like a few guys kind of chipped in to do just hand out bottles of water. So just like we were able to make it like a very safe event very quickly. So though it was just like a protest, it very much was set up and ran like 
a big outdoor like festival yeah. mm-hmm. kind of gave it all that kind of due care and attention and as well because we were in the middle of the pandemic we were super focused on making sure it was so safe because the last thing we wanted to do was have this in the face of people like Nicola Sturgeon and Hamza Yusuf saying like please don't do this we're in the middle of a pandemic um we didn't want it to backfire or people to get sick. We didn't want there to be any troubles. So it was kind of down to us to make sure it was going to be as comprehensive, like well-covered, well-staffed as possible. Yeah. yeah. See, and that sort of one of the, the, the criticisms at the time that I've seen a lot on social and for like just speaking to people was like, there'll be no social distancing. How, like, why did, why is this happening during a global pandemic? Blah, blah, blah. There's bigger things here. Like, and for your point of view, like, why was it important to do it when you did it and no wait until after a pandemic? Well, I think people were going to do it either way. Like, in my eyes, like, if, if there was a march organised or not, like, I was going to go out, I was going to do something. Do you know what I mean? Everyone mm-hmm. was so motivated and kind of running on emotion at the time so to me the choice was either let people go out and organize something kind of haphazardly yeah or just like self-organize like do you know what I mean? the the previous plans were just like just meet in the park um kind of no regulation no rules no safety precautions no safeguards or we do the event and put in as many safeguards as possible. I think obviously it probably did get a bit more traction because we organised it, but at the same time I think eight or 10,000 people doing it as safely as we done it was probably safer than 2,000 people that were self-organising. Yeah. Yeah. So I think by doing things like making, like we had stewards walking around making sure people stayed in their groups i mean obviously down the front where emotions were kind of running high and people were listening to the speeches was a bit more cramped but up the back I mean, as you moved by those kind of first 10 lines of people uh-huh. then you were getting like people were just sitting in their their household sitting down they were two meters away from people we had volunteers walking around like handing out masks i think we ended up with like ten thousand masks and i think i only came home with like a hundred that's incredible, so, man. Like, everything given a mask to wear. Yeah, yeah. so we, we were it's as safe as It's been proved right as well, dude. You must have done something yep. right because we, we get past the 14-day mark and there's been no spike. Do you know what I mean? None of the, the fear. I mean, I think the ironic thing is, like you're saying, it's it was the sort of same people over the course of what I was seeing that were sort of spreading misinformation about the virus, sort of, is it real? Is it just the flu? Like, conspiracies, and then they're going, how dare they? Because... Coronavirus, and then 14 days passed, there's been no peak, and it's just like sit down, calm the fuck down. Do you know what I mean? But yep. he's must yeah, have been doing something absolutely. right, man. Yeah, I was going to ask in terms of the, the people that were asked to talk. Obviously, you know, as you were saying, this is a really hot topic. People are really, in, you know, impassioned by what's going on and want to make change and, and contribute to that. Like, how do you go about deciding? Who's talking? Is there like an agenda you want folk to stick to? Like, what are you, is there a core message that you're trying to make sure everybody underlines? How does how do you go no, about that? Honestly, for me, like, I reached out to a few people like close to me um, and asked them to speak. Um, a few people got in touch. So, like, the woman that spoke that was from Florida who had lived through um, the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. 
um, she had just messaged the Facebook page and was like, oh, I'm so looking forward to coming down, explained her story. And I was like, well, please come up and like say a few words. But other than that, man, it was just really, really organic. Like I genuinely just wanted people to come up and speak their truth. Like the best speakers there, like precious, like the young girls, she's like 16. I don't know if you've seen her. Yeah, she got yeah. up and spoke for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, man. I reckon the whole crowd was in tears. By the time she was done, like she was such a powerful speaker, but she just turned up. She was like my friend Milton's um, little cousin, and she was just like, "Can I get up and say a few words?" Like people were genuinely just speaking from the heart. One or two people prepared speeches, but generally, like I think we only pre-prepared like five or six people. So everybody else that was there kind of just got up and I think they were just kind of emboldened and inspired by other people that were speaking and came up and said, can I say a few words? And then we got a very mixed bag of um, input from all different people. Like everyone's experiences were very different. Some people got up and were really upset. Some people got up like Brad and was really, really angry. And people were like, why are you letting him up there? He's, he's raging. He's talking about fighting. He's talking about this and talking about fuck the police. And I'm like, I didn't want to censor anyone. I'm like, if that's his experience and that's what he's lived through and his dealings of like being a black man have led him to be like that, then who am I to tell him that he can't have, he can't have that point of view. I was like, I think that's amazing, dude. Because I I think think a lot of the time people do get censored when it's like, there's a lot of rage and there's a lot of anger and there's decades worth of deep, deep emotional trauma that's yep. going about in the community and to make it palatable for the people that have ultimately been part of that trauma and part of that, Absolutely. like, if you want to make it palatable for them, so don't let people go up and speak their truth. So I, I say more power to you if you'll just yes. let people go up there and just flow through it, man. Absolutely, man. I think you kind of had to at this stage, like, it's the first the first instance, do you know what I mean? Like we, I was actually in a meeting yesterday on a Zoom call with all the Black Lives Matter leaders from Scotland and there was one or two people from the States on it and one of the girls was like, oh yeah, I was at the... Um, I was at the march and I didn't really like like what a few of the people said. They said that like they didn't mind the street names and they said that they didn't mind um, kind of one or two other things. Um, so I just think we need to like make sure we don't have those opinions on the next one and I was like well no absolutely not I'm I'm not starting this movement by censoring people I'm not starting this movement by saying to people you can only be in this movement if you fit this box and you have these opinions because that is just to me that's just so wrong it doesn't doesn't move the narrative at all like you're just boxing other people out like people need to be allowed to express themselves you don't know what people have gone through that have led them to having that opinion so maybe they do need to kind of increase their political education and that will come as they find themselves more and more involved in the movement I would never say to someone like you can't get up and express that express that view especially when it comes to things like the street names and the statues because it's something that people keep bringing up to me and I have a totally different opinion on on it to what a lot of other people have and even like ourselves and Black Lives Matter Edinburgh have like absolutely polar opposite views on it like we couldn't be further apart but we still very much support each other um, on 
whatever they whatever their view is, we support them on it and they support support our view on it. But I just think it's really important to not get into that state of like, well, no, this is this is what we want and you can't you can't speak unless you fit that box. I think it's a lesson to be learned for the left in general because we've done a lot of podcasts with guys like Loki where we've spoke about like where has the left failed in the last sort of 15, 20 years? Oh, and I think yeah. part of it is just what you've touched on there is that we they deal in like these sort of weird absolutes of I agree with ninety percent of what you're saying, but this ten percent I don't like, so therefore I don't want to be associated with you whatsoever. Whereas yeah. on the right, they put their differences to one side so that they can take as much power as possible and then they'll still bicker over their differences once they're they're in the position that Absolutely. they want ultimately the movement wants to be in. So I think that that's very profound and um like sort of wise to be like let's not do that and let's just come together until we get to a place where we're more comfortable with the situation and then we can maybe get into bits and pieces but um the the street name thing i i genuinely don't know where what i think and where i stand i don't think it's important but what what's your your own opinion on it and especially as a, a I mean, you're for Coatbridge, but we'll see you're a Glaswegian region just for the kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up, I I've moved to Glasgow when I was like 13 and I went to school in the city centre, so it's something that I've been surrounded by my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, like, two, I've got two opinions on it. One of them is that, like, I think it's a massive diversion tactic by the government, by local mm-hmm. councils, by yeah. media to divert the conversation away from things that we actually give a fuck about like Black Lives Matter is not here to like placate street names like we do here that's that is like the when the media are like oh we've taken five episodes of Mrs Brown's Boys off Netflix because it may be construed as blackface do you know what I mean it's like yeah they they will do the absolute minimum to not deliver the change that we're actually asking for you're on the risk of you're yeah, on the like, drowning in tokenism, don't you? Well, exactly, man. That's it. Like they want to do all these little, like token effects that make no systematic change. Do you know what I mean? We want education reform, police reform, inequality. Now, statues and street names to me play very little into any of those three things. Where it does start to make an impact, I think, is in education. And I think instead of removing these statues, maybe not the statues, the street names at least, I don't think we should be removing street names. I think we should be educating on them and educating on who those people were, what their involvement was, what their what their actual history is. Do you know what I Because mean? you, yeah. you grew up in Glasgow, you learned about Lord Buchanan, Ingram, Glassford, but what you didn't learn was that they owned... 80 to 125,000 slaves each who yeah. probably all died under their hands there go they murdered 80 to 125,000 enslaved black people so I think it, the, the topic comes into its own when you start to frame it around a conversation about education about British colonialism education about Glasgow and Scotland's role in the transatlantic slave trade um, and just kind of Britain's overall impact on African history. I think when we examine them in that case, then you can bring in the the question of like, okay, should 
what are these street names like? Should we educate on these street names? What about these statues? But I think the problem is people are separating it from that and they're making it an issue on their own. No, I, I don't know. And it's, to me, it's really annoying because like places like Black Lives Matter Edinburgh have really taken that on board and they're very, they've become like very, very like wrapped up in it and their yeah. whole conversation is about like right let's rename this street emancipation street let's tear down the, the statue of henry dundas and we're like no <laughs> like th- those things need to be a byproduct of like adding educate uh, adding british colonialism back into the education curriculum <clears throat> yeah you know, adding the transatlantic slave trade back into the british curriculum um, so I think those things should happen organically in mm. 20 years when you've got a whole generation of kids who have came up knowing how disgusting like these people were and looking at those streets and saying like I don't want to walk down a street with that name on it I don't want it to become just a knee-jerk reaction to okay right we'll, we can placate Black Lives Matter by like popping that sh- that statue in a museum for sure man or changing the street name. I think we've got two different examples of how this can be done, right? You've got the British colonialism or the empire um, and the the basically bullshit ideas of what we see as like British culture and how it was made and how Aye, it came about. We were about. taught that the tobacco barons were, you know, pioneers of capitalism. You know exactly. I mean? like, so you were guys that. who built Glasgow and we had to look up to. You know what yeah, I mean? we've like, got when, that sort of forgotten history where it's been literally like written out of the history books and then you've got sort of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany where that group of people have never been, they're not able to forget it. They don't want to forget it for one, but the, they actually wrote into treaties that you will be constantly reminded of this so that it never happens again. And now we've got a generation of people that are, well, not, not a full generation, but we've got a, a sort of subculture of people that are now going down and standing drinking cans of lager next to a fucking statue of somebody that they've got no idea who the person is or what they were yeah. about because we've got this forgotten history. When we found out in this podcast speaking to people that Glasgow and Scottish people in general were one of, amongst the worst a treatment of sort of slavery and, and they're, they're handing it. I mean, me and Matt could not fucking believe it, but now you're like, I kind of get it. I kind of get why we've ended up in this where we are. Do you know what I mean? Because we just, we've completely wiped out the history books and I'm with you, man. Like, I think we should actually tell the fucking story the way that it happened so that we can actually take a bit of ownership for it and then ultimately try and do something to rectify it. Do you know what I mean? In whatever way that looks once we yeah. know what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like things like the statues and the street names will they'll change organically. They'll change as people like people's attitudes to these people will change when they learn the truth about them. So we're actually trying to uh, myself, Eunice uh Olamide, Zohar's supermodel. She's doing a lot of campaigning right now, uh, in Green okay. Campbell. Uh, like one of our main focuses is trying to get a museum of um black heritage. Into, yeah. into Glasgow. We're trying to get that in place of where the Gallery of Modern Art is right now. I mean, that's a real statement. I mean, that, the Gallery of mm-hmm. Modern Art is as close to the centre of the city, the heart well, of the city, was, as you can possibly get. And well, again, built made, by... It's the major slave owner's yep. house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, don't think there's, I don't think there is a more fitting place for it. Um, it's also an absolutely trash museum. 
it's rubbish. They never they don't invest any money in putting exhibitions into it. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not really a tourist attraction in the way that like Kelvin Grove is. It doesn't yeah doesn't really draw people. Um, also, all of the upper floors are just used as office space for the company that that run uh, the museum. But they've got another office just down on. I think it might be on Glassford Street or George Street. So really the bu- the building isn't being used to the, the best of its capability. Yeah. But I think if we actually could put something like that in place to show people the reality, I think it's it's difficult because people really see the reality of the Holocaust a lot. Do you know what I mean? There are a lot, a lot of learning resources out there. Most of us, if not all of us, learned about it in depth. Um, yeah, studying history at school, like constantly, like there's so many like films about it, there's so much literature about it. Whereas when it yeah. comes to slave trade, there's this total like cognitive dissonance about it, this massive disconnect. Cause people they can't really envision it, so they don't really understand what it looks like. They don't understand the impact of it. They almost need to have that shock factor of like this is what. 80,000 enslaved people look like. This is what it looks like to have 300 people sleeping in the damp bowels of a ship. Like, it's really sobering stuff. I think people just haven't had the, the exposure to it that they need to have, so they find it very easy to dismiss and they find it very easy to, to basically ignore. Whereas I think if we did take... Germany's approach to it, who have been amazing, they are very much like, right, we need to acknowledge that this happened and be conscious of it so that we can never, ever go back that way. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's a pretty amazing approach. I think if we could start to see that mirrored here, we would, we would see some real progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the protests that happened sort of the week after we, we just touched on it there we'll talk about like people defending statues but um you yourself i had seen was down at george square with the when it was the was it the refugee protest that happened the, the, yeah, the week so after? that was the, the saturday so there was the the wednesday was when the kind of english defense league scottish defense league um like National Front and all that kind of went down on the Wednesday and that was just like a horrible, horrible day. A few people I went I know went down there. My mate good friend Tommy was like pretty horribly assaulted. Yep. Um chased about, like guys were trying to like snatch his camera off him, like really homophobic, really racist to him. He's just like an innocent, like really, really sweet guy. We had Tommy um, on the podcast like two weeks ago, just oh, yeah, really? yeah. The, the week after that it, it had happened, and the story's like it's mind blowing to think that it's 2020 in Glasgow city centre that that happened. Um, yeah, and then you see the police's reaction to it, which is, oh, we can't tell the difference. I mean, the the police federation, um, their statement was, we can't tell the difference between left-wing and right-wing um, statue defender or statue attacker, which I think is a pretty awful statement considering there was never any intent to harm any yeah. statues. Do you know what I mean? This whole thing has been kind of manufactured and fabricated by the media to get the right-wing up and up and running and get them in arms and give give people a bit of news to watch, essentially. Yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, to, for them to come out and say something like that to me was just like mind-blowing. It's it, bullshit it really, as well because I could tell for a video, you could even, like you could sit with a video and go, there's, there, there's one side, there's the other side. You can totally tell the fucking difference and the fact that the guys in... Um, like uh, uh, the guys that were there from like the Green Brigade and things like that on on the left in Glasgow, they're all known to the police. So that for them to say, and they approached them and, and spoke to them. Um, so for them to say, we didn't know the difference between one side and all is complete and utter bullshit. Um, but uh, I, yeah, again, I mean, it's their, just, their whole kind of boss to it was that they'll treat us all the same. Like whether you're out there to like protest for equality and equal rights and better treatment and not be murdered in the streets or if you're there to be hateful like they don't know the difference and to me that's that just says everything you need to know about policing in scotland like i think the evidence was pretty dark i mean when we look at the, the free reign that let's you know call them statue defenders had just days before the, the, you know, people in George Square were taking a knee and, you know, supporting the no evictions and stuff like that. Like, you found yourselves kettled, as, not even yeah. during the peaceful protest, but as a peaceful yeah, protest the was dispersing. Tried to leave. Like, yeah. It seemed I mean, it's, like that, that one was not as choice. So there was really good social distancing at that one. Like, yeah. every single person was social distanced until we were all forced not to by the police. It just seemed so insane and then the police had the cheek to come out and say that the Green Brigade, Green Brigade had asked to be escorted out of which <laughs> obviously instantly they were like uh, no we didn't I don't know, yes. the fuck. <laughs> I, I don't know I, where I, the fuck you pulled that one from don't know too um, many of the GB guys but I can't imagine very many of them approaching a police officer and being excuse me officer can you walk me down the road you know what I, mean? yeah, exactly. I don't see it no absolutely not it is it's just more evidence again of how kind of unfortunately right wing our, our Scottish police system is. I mean, there isn't a single um, senior ranked black police officer. I think it's above the role of like a DI. There is nobody black in the police force. Wow. Yeah, and those those kind of attitudes filter down. I mean, I've I've been stopped and searched more times than I can count. My car is the worst one. Like I get pulled over in my car all the time from the minute i passed my test i mean this is like when i had a shitty like 1999 vw polo that cost me yeah. a grand do you know what i mean getting the same kind of like knock on the window and like all right son is this your car doing like get that i mean i must have been i reckon i've probably been stopped like 50 plus times and always well, as an adult question so, like, as a, like an adult, you've been stopped fifty oh, plus times. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, that's insane to me, mate. I've never been. I've not been stopped for the police. I've I've not been stopped for the police over the age of seventeen, ever, not once. Yeah. And see, to be honest, I've usually got something on me that could. Pro- I've usually got like weed in my pocket <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I'm I'm prime to get fucking stopped. But that to me, like, that's the type of shit. Well, that, you will be now. Well, <laughs> fuck it, you know, what they got to do. Um, but Ed, like, that's the type of stuff where you think that doesn't go on, that doesn't happen in, in Glasgow. And then you hear these experiences and you're like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, this oh, no, is- absolutely. I mean, when I was like 17, 18, I was driving through South Queens Ferry um, again in like an old shitty car. So, like, no reason to pull me over. 
stop and I get pulled over under the um, what is it the Prevention of Terrorism Act that they used. The so they like so they pulled me out my car, separate separated me from the car, searched me like hoodie off, jacket off, socks off, shoes off. Then they issued me with like the Prevention of Terrorism Act and they searched my car, which involved them like taking every single thing out of my car. I was like an art student at the time, so they pulled out like my portfolios, like went through every single leaf of my portfolio, pulled out every single thing from my car, like seats forward, seats back, like took the carpet out from the back of my car, like pulled my seats out from the back, put the seats down, like lifted all the carpet out of the boot, lifted the tire out. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, how hard are you guys looking for something? Thank you. Should put your art folio together for like cover? You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, it was mad. And I mean like I was like a wee like seventeen, eighteen year old mosher, like tiny, frail as hell, like I did not look like a threatening guy. I certainly didn't look like a drug dealer when I was seventeen. It just shows you like uh, like what they'll project onto you. Just yeah. for being black, do you know what I mean? That was like just that racial was profiling. Only, that, was, that was the only thing I did was like I was driving black. That was like my crime. And it kind of highlights one of the most important things that I've considered in the wake of um, Black Lives Matter coming to prominence again in recent weeks, and that's that just because my experience, and I think this is something that a lot of people have found themselves stuck in, is that because your experience isn't my experience. We have that blind spot as if maybe it's sometimes not happening, and it is. And I think that's one of the things that probably Maesties need to confront is that just because, you know, I mean, I can't count, I can't think of a single time I've been stopped by the police, and I think it would be easy for a lot of people in that situation to think, well, it's no, it's widespread. In actual fact, I think we need to just accept people's experiences as the actual truth in the first instance, and then see where we can change that experience going forward because. You know, I think a lot of people felt called out when thinking along these kind of terms in recent weeks and we've made the point a number of times that just because we've been, I think, you know, a level of complacency has allowed some of us like myself to be complicit in the oppression of black people. And it's not that I have ever been maliciously yeah, racist absolutely. or that anybody out there is maliciously racist, but when you, they don't get that definition, I think that, that explains some of the pushback. But I think the key is that your experience is valid, and even if it's no my experience or my mate's experience, like we need to trust it and then work with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. And like uh, that's something I've noticed like massively over the past couple of weeks. Like, kind of the attitudes that are changing from the beginning of the movement to now. Like the conversations moved on a lot. So like right after it happened, then a few like sneaker groups and a. Uh, a few of them kind of kicked off in there when all the sneaker shops got looted, right? And it led to like a massive discussion and people being like, oh, well, fuck them now that they're looting and, do you know what I mean, rioting. And yeah. so I had this like massive conversation of trying to like get these guys around and be like, look, like how hard like do you think these people have been pushed to have to feel like they have to riot to make their choice made? to make their voice heard yep. and you're getting them come back like nah fuck it it's never acceptable it doesn't matter like they're fucking scumbags they're just this and that and that it's not that bad they're blowing it out of proportion and like there's, they should never have done this 
and me trying to say to them, no, like it is that bad. Like this is what's happening. Like we're experiencing this all over the world. Like I'm getting it in Glasgow. Guys are getting it in London, and they're like, no, loads of shit. It's not happening. And I had a massive, maybe like almost a hundred comment argument with this guy who was just like didn't want to hear it. Was just like no, that's it's isolated things. The police are overall good. Politics overall is good, and in your favour, you've got a quality. I don't know what you're going on for. And then, like middle of last week, I woke up and like far, opened my phone. The first thing from him was like a message, being like, "Mate, I just wanted to say I'm so sorry. Like I really owe you an apology." And I don't know if you'd seen I'd done like an IGTV where I kind of was just like candidly speaking about like what was going on right now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I watched your IGTV. He was like, I had no idea it was this bad. Like, I know people have said it was that bad, but I wasn't listening. Like, I heard it, but I wasn't listening to what they're yep. saying. And I'm really like listening and ingesting these people's experiences and like really taking on board what they're saying and now I can see how wrong I was about my thoughts and I think it, it was such a big thing like that to me that I was like that takes a lot of like takes a lot of guts to like stand That's awesome. up and say like right I've actually examined the way I've thought and changed it um, yep. to me that's so impressive man and I think that is kind of it's not just black people that are waking up to this now. I think yeah. really, like a lot of people are waking up and saying, like, oh, shit, like, okay, how have, how have things that I've done um, contributed to this problem? Like, how have I been complicit in it? Or, and I mean, even myself, like, I had to kind of go away and look and, like, I, wrote, I actually wrote quite a big thing on Instagram about it, about kind of, like, mm-hmm. intent. And I think a lot of black people and... Asian people and Chinese people in Scotland, especially if they're like not first generation, they haven't moved here, but they grew up here, mm-hmm. have this kind of like internalized racism whereby like we spend so long being racially profiled and kind of racially discriminated against that we internalize it and we we begin to like hate those attributes of ourselves. I grew up yeah. like, in COVID, think- like white family white friends, didn't have any black friends, didn't really even know anyone black properly until I was like in my late 20s. And people would say things to me like, oh, you're not really black though. I mean, like you've got a good education, you've got a good job, like you're not really black, you're really well-spoken. So I kind of took those things in and like kind of made them part of me, do you know what I mean? So I would... Mm -hmm. I did become like almost like racist towards myself and other black people like internally. And you see it a lot with kind of like misogyny, do you know what I mean? Like girls being like, oh, I'm not like other girls. Like, Yeah, Candace Owens is a good example of this one if you've ever engaged with her. Yeah, she is. She hates, I mean, I watched the the Joe Rogan interview with her just because I wanted to find out, what is this person all about? Like, how does does a person of colour come to this sort of right-wing, white supremacist sort of point of view? And within about half an hour, she she has this sort of glint in her eye. She describes going to her blonde-haired, blue-eyed friend's house and taking out of the poverty. It's like, that woman hates being black. Like, yeah. she she just despises it because she's internalized all, that, all these racial stereotypes about crime. Yeah. And doesn't he take into consideration the poverty and the, the institutionalized and structural racism that ends up with people in these situations where they've got no other option or they feel that they've got no other option, she genuinely hates the colour of her skin and that's yep, all that it that's is. It. It's, it's so much easier to like 
just say, okay, well, that's not me. I'm not part of that. I'm not really black. I'm not really part of that community. Do you know what I mean? I may be black, but I'm more like a white person. It's much easier to say that than to kind of sit back and examine years and years and years of oppression and being downtrodden. And yeah, it is insane. And I think I honestly was really shocked by the response. Like when I put out my Instagram post about how many people came back and just said, like, man, that resonated with me so much like I didn't realise other people felt like that I think you'll find in a place like Scotland that probably is very prevalent because we don't like to think of ourselves as racist so we never come out and be overtly racist like even in the way people are racist as in like little microaggressions and doing things like like I don't even know if they feel like they're being racist I think they maybe even feel like they're being complimentary when they say things like, oh, but you're not black because you've got a job. You're not black because you know your dad. You know what I mean? They, they think that they're being friendly, but yeah. you need to kind of break it down and be yeah. like, you know, that is like at its core, like an incredibly, horribly racist thing to say. Yeah, this is the type absolutely. of thing that comes from the very top of our society. And I think we see it in even guys like Johnson who talk about watermelon smiles and then claims not to be racist, doesn't believe in gestures or taking the knee but paints flags on a plane. Like There is a, a juxtaposition at the highest levels in the UK that are, in certain respects, overtly racist but can also defend themselves to the people who support them and be justified and within themselves saying, well, actually, I'm no racist. And he's no racist. And you're like, that's something that we need to get our big time for the change that you you need to see at the the street level. So did we cut out there? No, 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 no. Right. Still here, yeah, um, yeah, man. I think you're I think you're totally right. Is that there needs to be a kind of an understanding on what is racist and what isn't, and that needs to be defined by black people who experienced it. And we have a yeah. very very horrible habit in this country of invalidating people's experiences and saying, well, no, that's not racist. I wasn't being racist. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's only racist if there's malicious intent behind Intent, it. yeah. And yeah, you're but- like, no, it's not. Like, it's, like, what you're saying is still racist just because you don't feel like you are being racist doesn't mean someone won't experience it as racism. Um, and I think, it, as sad as it is, that is just a, a product of white people being able to be so comfortable forever and always controlling the narrative on things is that they're very they're really not used to being told like no this is how it is because yeah even the most progressive left-wing white person has still been programmed to think that they control the narrative and that actually we see that a lot even within the left in Scotland so like that stand up to racism campaign uh, the one on the Saturday that, I, that you spoke at yep that you spoke at that I spoke at um, that was organised by the Socialist Workers Party and that is a party that is all white middle class male led and they do not agree or stand up for black self-organization. They don't mm-hmm. think that black people should be self-determinate. They think that a group of white middle-aged men should be at the front of changing the, the conversation of yeah. racism. And myself and Graham Campbell have had a 
few interesting conversations with them when we're being like, you can't use the Black Lives Matter name. You're not black-led. Please don't use yeah. it. To which they were like, well, it's a hashtag. We'll use it if we want. Um, uh, right up to saying, like, look, we need this needs to be self-determinate. We need to be the people that make the change. And they're very much like, well, no, sorry. They're very yeah. dismissive of it. And oh. that, again, is like a form of like white supremacy. They are yeah. under the, the guys that like, no, look, I'm, I'm a white middle-aged man like i know best i'll i'll take this i'll i'll yeah. do i'll do the good bit you just you just sit back and i'll do what we've been doing for hundreds of years without think, realizing that they're actually pay, playing into the problem yeah i think things like equality and rights are bigger than politics like for the the, the socialist workers party to want to jump on the bandwagon and get their get their agenda on the other agenda, it's like, mm, you see that a lot across, and I think, like, this is similar to the sort of, where people in America or people here get mixed up with Antifa stuff, where it's like, they're using this movement as a way uh getting their own agenda on, like, front and centre, where it's yeah. like, just ignore it, like, we just need to kind of ignore it, like, the people that are trying to shitstorm the background and use it to create like whatever it might be like politicize this movement it needs to just be put to one side i think we've seen the same kind of you know sort of patronization of the black community in the terms you're talking about basway like keir starmer last week i mean he first official picture is him and angela reina taking a knee for you know black lives matter and then two weeks later he's talking about how the demands are nonsense and it was just a moment and you're like there's that sort of Patronising that, that that you're talking about that right cool you've yeah. had it now let, you know we've acknowledged it we've acknowledged it now let's get back to whatever the normal business of the day is and you're like no that's the whole point of that is that that's not happening anymore like you know I mean that's not acceptable anymore and it's, it's interesting to see him try and backtrack for it you know what I mean and yeah absolutely <clears throat> I know that's that has come up a few times and I actually spoke to Labour on Monday and I brought it up but it was only Scottish Labour so they were kind of like look we don't matter his views on that and like why did they think that was an, ex- yeah. <laughs> an acceptable thing to say and it just shows you like how deep rooted these kind of ideals are and like the highest levels that these people like do not have our best interests are I mean like mm-hmm. I would have, I would give all the money in the world to Jeremy Corbyn back in his position Aye. and have him as our prime minister because I think he's one of the the very few politicians that I feel like when they get behind movements like this they truly truly means it and they really yeah. does mean well and they really does want the best and I feel like if it came to like a decision about black self-determination he would be like 100% yeah. behind it whereas I think these other politicians want to they want to preach about it and they want to be seen to be supporting as long as it kind of benefits their own cause mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. like and I don't think they're the only ones that are guilty of that I mean one of the things that I noticed and I, I've commented on previous episodes about how corporations jump on events and things become almost seasonal where you're pushed for you know, Christmas to Valentine's Day to Easter to summer holidays and Halloween and so on and so forth. And, like, COVID became a bit like that as companies started to weaponise it in their marketing and their advertising. And I think, like, one of the things that I've seen is Black Lives Matter be used in a very similar kind of sense. And, like, I think the example that I I commented on at the time was one of the tea companies telling racists not to buy their tea anymore. And I was like, 
the does the tea industry know one of the biggest proponents of you know historical <laughs> slavery labor, yeah. of all time? Like probably still are. Like I, I mean, was thinking, even yeah, up until like, like twenty years ago when fair trade well, came in, you're still talking about like Southeast Asians like working for absolute pennies. Do you know what I mean? Like cost, uh, not cost of like coffee industry again. Like mac and beans is like. I remember like growing up and that whole conversation changing to like, oh, we're fair trade. We actually like pay our employees like a reasonable amount for their yeah. days of like fourteen hour days grafting in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's. That. I, I don't know if it's enough. Like, I don't think. I, I wonder how you think you know we approach the 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 way companies are going to want to jump on and and see as as being. You know, adjacent to what you're asking for, but at the same time, paying people slave wages and all across the world, you know, it's people of colour who are worse affected by these Absolutely. sort of pain conditions to this day. Like, how do we stop that hypocrisy in both the politicians and, you know, the corporations that are flooding us with hashtags and stuff that are at the minute pretty empty for me? Yeah, to me, it's all about like direct action. Like, you can speak a big game and you can talk whatever you want to about it, and you can post whatever nice Instagram infographics you want. But at the end of the day, like, what are you doing? What action are you actually changing? Um, I actually got pulled on to BBC to speak about this quite a few times because obviously we do branding and we work with like a lot of lot of brands and at the time we were doing a lot of comms for people around Black Lives Matter and it was a bit like you were getting companies that were coming out and supporting and then when you really examine those companies they're they're not there. They don't support they don't they're not there to uplift the culture or help people that are involved in it at all. A great example was um L'Oreal. So they come out and were like, oh we support um we support black people. We've always supported all the black people that we work with. We, we love them. Our company would be nothing without them. And then within like a day, uh, Monroe Bergdorf had come out and said, well, hold on, let's just examine this. Because three years ago, I said, the system of um, white supremacy is awful. It's trash and all white people need to do the work to change it. L'Oreal fired her within a day of that tweet. Wow. And then she was pulled onto the Piers Morgan show where they just tore her to shreds. They were just so awful. And I mean, this is like a couple of years back. So trans, um, the, the conversation around like trans lives and trans equalities moved on a lot. So you were getting like Piers Morgan at the time giving it all the, well, what if I want to identify as an attack helicopter? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so she was subject to like, horrible like racial homophobic transphobic abuse through that whole chapter and she came back to L'Oreal and said well actually let's hold you accountable because here's a time where you were absolutely so unsupportive to black people and you've actually shown that throughout and she's now I think she's now been brought on to their board to do um, to do work around like equalities and representation, but it was a great example I thought of like holding these companies accountable. And if they are saying things like "Oh, we support black people" or "We're all for the betterment of black people and equality," like show us the yep. receipts. Prove it. Show us what you're actually doing. Yeah, prove it. Like show us your show us your hiring uh, 
incentives to black people shows how yeah. you're actively trying to onboard more black people into senior management shows your your senior management structure and like there was like there was a few really good instagram posts of like disney and walmart and all these companies coming out and saying like oh we're so in support of like black people and the black community and then like people posting their like their full executive teams like 30 people not a black face in sight do you know what i mean yeah. it's like if you really mean it like like show it like hire people donate like pay money like stop using slave labor in bangladesh i mean you're talking yeah. about like companies like zara and that coming out um kylie jenner like these are people that have like not paid their factory workers like a penny since covid started and you're thinking like black lives matter isn't just about like cool black people in the u.s and like pretty black girls from london it is about like all black people everywhere and like all people everywhere that are suffering inequality so you can't say that you're you're just about like your cool black followers from new york like you need to care as much about them as you do about the factory workers that you're underpaying and make work in awful conditions and some basically slave labor camp in bangladesh yeah, yeah man it's just incredible i mean there was a lot of sort of even seen people instagram influencers turning up at protests they hold up a placard get a and then walk away. And yeah. walk away and you're like what, what world do we fucking live in like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> jesus is. like what, wow I, I mean some of that i mean there was one where the the girl went and took the hammer the guy was like boarding up his shop and she was like can i take the hammer and kid he don't want to be boarding up the shop and then away they went handed the hammer back to the guy and away they went and you're just like what the fuck but that's like these things do get hijacked and they do get sort of like manipulated and used to like sell products and I think like what you're saying is absolutely bang on like if L'Oreal or Disney or Coca-Cola or anybody wants to get behind it and back it that's great but you better be ready to fucking show that you're actually backing it and that you're not just jumping on a wee bandwagon to sell a couple of cans of fucking whatever or to sell some makeup or to get people in the the right places to like endorse your products which is ultimately what they're fucking doing um, Absolutely, man. A bit cynical. I was, I was going to ask one more. I mean, um, we we kind of frame, or you know, in the wake of this, the conversation, particularly in Scotland, has been framed in quite historical terms about slavery, about you know all the various you know hangovers of empire and colonialism. And I think one of the things that's important to acknowledge before we sign off is that it's not just a historical thing. Like people are reacting all across the world to this because there is now in the consciousness that it's still an ongoing issue. And I think in the UK, it's probably important to acknowledge things like Grenfell, things like the Windrush scandal, like the disparity and how, you know, COVID has affected black people and people of colour in the UK and how the government buried that, like how we've got a racist at the helm who's legislating. And, like, this is a fight that is current this is happening now and it, it's probably why it's as important that so many people have taken on as possible because you know we have people especially people that may have been complacent on it like how do you want us to or how does how do blm want to see us you know confront this going forward like yeah so our main so that's the thing is like i think if, if we do take it back it's like that there are there's such huge differences in what like blm in the UK want, what BLM in Scotland want, compared to what BLM in the States want. So there's like, yep. there's a real kind of mixed 
message going around and it is kind of hard to get to the bottom of like what each kind of chapter or splinter cell like wants from their own chapter and where they live um, and obviously we've seen people like really struggling to like get behind other people like just say like straight out I can't support Black Lives Matter it's like a Marxist communist um, like movement that wants to de- the police entirely and I'm like no well that might be what it is in New York or Maryland or Oklahoma but it's certainly not what it is in London or Glasgow or Edinburgh Um, so here because our kind of policing system is so different um, we're looking for like I guess more representation education um, and reform here rather than defunding so in the states they're like so heavily leaning on defunding the police but that's because they are they police in such a different way to us yeah. they're like their police force is militarized for once like they are equipped with like military weapons and they're organized like a military and they're there to incarcerate people um whereas here scotland police is much more on community um and you see you see police federations from all around the world like come to the, the Police Scotland or uh, yeah, the Police Scotland headquarters to see how they train because if you look at things like the knife crime epidemic like 15 years ago, like when I grew up in Coat Bridge, Coat Bridge was the knife crime capital of the world. I mean it was at the epicenter of every conversation around kind of policing was how bad knife crime was in Glasgow, yeah. how George was it George Street that leads to um, kind of goes between Central Station and Buchanan Street. Uh, how that was like the most yeah, violent yeah. street in the world. Do you know what I mean? That was like Gordon really street. like Gordon Go- Street. That's Gordon the one. Street, yeah, right? yeah, most violent street in the world. Like most stabbings, most assaults. Matt walks from Gordon Street, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was leaving that one out there, so I was. Uh, I work on, on Gordon Street. Uh, it's a zoo, man. Even now, as a zoo, it's mental. There but, right, there's definitely been incidents. But you can, like, you can see like Scotland and Glasgow like policed its way out of those kind of violent epidemics, and it done it with the the approach that Black Lives Matter are looking for in the states. So when they say defund the police, they don't just mean defund the police. What they really mean is fund social care fund addiction training, fund welfare, fund education, fund uh, rehabilitation from the budget that the police are given to be militarised with. So it's not like just take away all their money. It's like stop spending £30 million a month, a year on tanks and guns. Yeah. And instead train some social workers and train some therapists and rehabilitate people back into community. But we don't really need to have those conversations here. So ours is much more about kind of just increasing equality and like policing, like get some, get some diversity. Yeah, for sure. Upper ranks, even if they are people that didn't come up through the police system, like there needs to be some sort of equality up there because I don't know where, but somewhere in the police's training or attitudes or their just their overall culture, there is a massive massive like swell of systemic racism and like massive undertones of racism 
And that's something that really needs to be addressed. So that's kind of one of our main focuses. The other focus is adding uh, education about transatlantic slave trade, British colonialism, and actual African history back into the education curriculum. Okay. Because our education curriculum would have you believe that African history went planet existed, Africa formed, Egyptians, nothing, slavery. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And Africa they, came into being in the 1840s. Yeah, exactly. And the way they portray it on the media, on television, through like charity campaign, and you would genuinely believe that Africa is a country full of mud huts and tribes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They, they don't think that there is any culture there. They don't show cities. They don't show like massive modern cities with like booming economies and that that is really part of the problem of like why people see black people the way that they do um so they don't show how we ended up here which leads to this kind of go home attitude (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. i I think if we can start to educate people on like the depth of the slave trade and how it happened and what really happened and how people were dispersed all over for the world, it might take away from that kind of attitude of like, well, go home. Do you know what I mean? Go back to where you yeah. came from. Like, uh, we don't know where we came from because you robbed us from our land, mm-hmm. depleted all our resources, then shipped people all around the world. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can start to kind of educate younger generations on that, hopefully we can break down that kind of stigma or thought process. Um, and if we can educate on colonialism we can can start to kind of train out these this hate of of black people that they seem to have um, yeah. so i think those are those are kind of black lives matter within scotland's main goals um, and yeah, reasonable goals as well yeah. and then the other one just from a purely local point of view is putting in place that um museum of, of black history um, which is not a museum of slavery, which I think people have been kind of lobbying for. But I think it's really important that we kind of distinguish that it's not a slavery museum because we don't want to just say, like, this is what happened to black people. We don't, again, we don't want to start that conversation of mm-hmm. yeah, black, black people's history started at slavery. We want to show the full picture and show what uh, was there before Africa was like robbed of its, its resources and its people. That's awesome, man. Um, and like Matt just said, there's nothing unreasonable in there whatsoever, man. Um, no, absolutely not. It's all stuff that really should be very easily actionable. Like realistically, like how difficult is it to slightly change the education curriculum? I mean, I certainly <coughs> don't. I don't know how often I meet one of Henry the descendants. So I don't know how much <laughs> I really need to know about him. To be honest, I think I would Aye. probably be much more useful if I knew a bit about my own history and yeah. other people in my community's history. Um, yep. So that that should be a no-brainer. Um, and then reforms to policing, I really think it should be it's a minimum. Like we're, we're asking for the bare minimum, to be honest. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, just before we like we actually like close off, like um, I've seen the campaign uh, Black Scottish Business Fund that you've been doing on Instagram, and I think like just before we like, sign off, like what is that about? Like, what is it that you're you're trying to achieve with that? It's really like 
it's as much about empowerment as it is kind of financial for me. So obviously, like, run my own business and kind of had to navigate all that <coughs> on my own. So being like a young black entrepreneur was quite like an alienating experience for me. Mm-hmm. I found it quite difficult. I found there was like a lot of barriers to entry and probably quite an intimidating experience overall, especially when it came to things like finance, law, network, and like stepping into like a business world where you don't look, talk, act like a lot of other people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be it can be really intimidating and really off-putting. Um, so we set up, I've set up this Black Scottish Business Fund as a way to kind of help young black entrepreneurs break down some of these barriers. And although it is a financial fund, I think the finance side of it, at the end of it, will end up much less valuable than all of the other kind of infrastructure yeah. that we're putting in place. So it did originally just start as like... A, a way for me to like create social mobility for black people. I was just like, there, there weren't many like Black Lives Matter funds and stuff set up in Scotland, and people were sending all their money away to like bail funds in Atlanta that had like thirty-five million in donations. Do you know what I mean? Right. All those funds, all those funds have disappeared. Like people don't know where any of the money's gone. Yeah, don't like, can you see where the cash has went? Yeah, they, they weren't set up. By, they weren't set up by Black Lives Matter. They they were just set up by people, and they've incurred like millions and millions of pounds of donations and way more than it could ever have been needed and now those people have disappeared so I wanted to create something where people in Scotland could make a really direct impact <clears throat> you know I, mean? I wanted it to be like look if you donate 500 quid you will directly finance this like young black businessman's like business you will you mm-hmm. will directly support like what they're trying to achieve um Luckily now we've had some like amazing support, some amazing corporate support, and it's really expanded. So we're now offering like everyone that's a beneficiary. We're offering them like peer mentoring, so they'll be partnered up with someone from their industry who is quite advanced, um, just to help them like navigate. So, I mean, they don't need to to be doing anything special, but I think it's just. I know like the people that I formed relationships with when I was in the kind of early days of my business were like the most invaluable people to me. Like just being able to say to someone like, oh man, I'm having a really bad conversation with this client. Like how do you think I should approach it? Or or this person hasn't paid their invoice. Like what's a reasonable way to to speak to them? Or I've I've got this pitch. Is there anything that you think my presentation's missing? Mm -hmm. I think like partnering people up with like, experienced people in their industry who can just act as like a sounding board and a bit of a mentor for them will be hugely hugely beneficial to them my big Absolutely. advocate a mentor and that's the yeah, type of support that's going to be completely invaluable to somebody like exactly. you, man. it's good to go back full circle back to the start because we were talking about like how there's no sort of like proper structured black music scene in glasgow and well, that that seems to be indicative across the board. And there's, if there's definitely not a business community, yeah, then so that's you're it. we're hoping to kind of really expand this into like the business fund will essentially create everyone that um, applies will then create the the Black Scottish economy. Um, so we're I'm helping the guys in Ireland right now set up Black Owned Economy Ireland, um, and then we'll kind of replicate that here from everyone that applies for the business funds that will have a black 
owned economy Scotland. Um, so people that do all types of businesses, if people want to hire a web developer or they, oh God, hire a brickie, <laughs> do you know what I mean? If they, yeah. if, but they want to contribute to black business, they'll be able to look in this directory and hire someone black. And then it means also within the community that we will have an, org- an organization. We will be able to hold networking events and again, start to have some structure because when I was on the call to Ireland, we were really like digging into these other communities and we did like, we really identified that these other communities, like other ethnic communities are very organized. So like Chinese like are so incredibly organized, Indian, Pakistani, they're, they're very organized within their own community. Like they will yeah. do things like yeah. collective fundraising. Do you know what I mean? If someone needs to buy a house, they will all chip in to give that person the deposit money to buy the house. And then they do the same for the next person. Then they do the same for the next person. And then it's these kind of stepping stones that begin to build up generational wealth. That's why we now have like second, third generation, like, Indian Pakistani families who are so so wealthy because yeah. they have put these building blocks yeah. in two or three generations ago to say right well we're, we're actually going to buy this full street of houses yeah. so that yeah. all our kids don't need to have a mortgage or in 20 years when those houses have went up in price by 6,000% they'll benefit from that wealth and that's something that's an infrastructure that the black community has never had um, and we're just kind of starting to have those conversations now so I think it's if it goes right, I think it could be it could be massive. It'd be a real game changer. Definitely. We're talking about real systemic change that will benefit like generations to come. Not just Aye. like we're not just trying to like make people look good now or make people feel good. Like we're, we're really <clears throat> looking to kind of implement systematic change. Um, so yeah, the, the business fund is is hopefully going to act as a bit of a catalyst for that. Is Although it is about giving people a bit of money, it is a, a much more about creating like social mobility, changing people's attitudes to black-owned businesses. Because we really need to show people in Scotland that like black-owned business doesn't just mean African food shop, which is how they kind of yeah. think about it right now. When you think about a Scottish business, you definitely don't just think tartan mill shortbread shop tea cakes and iron brew but when you talk about black owned business people are like alright yeah like African shops or like hair braiding shops you're like well no it could be it could be a tech business it could be a fashion company it could be a music studio so I think it'll be it'll be pretty key on changing the narrative and changing people's attitudes to to what black owned business is that's that sounds awesome, awesome man. man. Aye, like absolutely. that sounds like an actual, like genuine force for good in the world, man. Like well played. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's going well, man. And we've had some amazing support. Like one of the world's top ten global law firms, CMS, have um, been in touch, and they've basically given us a, a full back, and they've said things like they've got amazing, they've got some massive financial clients, and they've straight up said, "Look, if you guys." can't get like loans and finances and business like we as cms will will endorse you um to say that we believe in like in your business which i think is is crazy that's to me that's the kind of support that the black community needs out of black lives matter (coughs) yeah not an instagram post but like co-signing like a young 
budding fashion designers to get a 20 grand loan to start a proper business like these are the kind of gestures that will make real change superb mate absolutely fucking superb and it's inspiring to hear you talk about it as well to be honest yep. like um do you want to just tell people like where they can find you where they can find the fund where they can find black lives matter in scotland as well if people are like i've yep. no idea where these guys are <laughs> yeah of course so my own instagram is to gallus that's T-O-O underscore Gallus. Um, the fund is in my bio, uh, so you can just click through there if you want to donate or just want to see what's happening on it. There's a, a more comprehensive breakdown there. Um, with corporate donations just now, I think it's sitting at about 25,000. Um, so incredible, man. Yeah, we're putting out our press release this week, so we're hoping to kind of push that up to the 50 grand mark. Um <coughs> which would mean we'd probably look at financing about 100 businesses with a mix of 500,000 pound loans, uh, grants, sorry, not loans. Um, we've recently just set up Black Lives Matter Scotland, so you can find that on Instagram now as well, which is just Black Lives Matter underscore Scotland. We'll be um, keeping kind of progress of what's happening, and as we begin to get more organised and structured and we're having more meetings, um, we'll be keeping everything uh, on there up to date um, and if you want to just find the fund you can just go on GoFundMe and just search for Black Scottish Business Fund um, but yeah definitely if you want to keep an eye on what's happening I would just say just give me a follow and I'm always on every day I'm really don't active don't DM you but <laughs> yeah. God DMs are mad no. but yeah um, yeah I'll be I'll be tracking all the kind of progress I'll probably be at most of the the demonstrations that are happening later this month, like Dundee, Dumfries, um, got a few more coming up. So, yeah, I'll be posting details, all of them, on my, my Instagram as well. Absolutely amazing, mate. Thanks very much Hi. for your time today, buddy. It's been incredible no, like, talking no, to no, you. I really enjoyed the chat, man. Glad we finally got on. to make it happen. <laughs> ah, yeah, absolutely, mate. I appreciate it because I know how busy you are, man. I can see Definitely. that. Um, when's the next uh, protest or rally in Glasgow? Is it August? Um, November is the next. Yeah, is that um, St Andrew's Day? So the thirtieth of November. Yep, that's the one. So that's that's the next proper planned Black Lives Matter. So that will be a solely Black Lives Matter event. So every year, um, there's actually like a big anti-racism march on St Andrew's Day. Uh, Just this year, we're we're making it. Black Lives Matter focused where I was usually is just generally like anti-racism so I think that'll be the next kind of one comparable to the one that you've seen um, on that note if you see any event that says Black Lives Matter on it but isn't hosted by the Black Lives Matter Glasgow Facebook page then it's not an official Black Lives Matter um, protest because lots of people are setting up protests right now and using the name because it's pretty trendy. Um, yeah. So yeah, if it's officially co-signed by us, we will be in a we'll be a co-host on it. That's awesome, cool. mate. Thanks very much for your time, man. Um, I no really problem. appreciate it. It's been absolutely superb talking to you, and Aye. hopefully, like people listen to it, get something for it, man, and spread the word about. Absolutely, Best man. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having me on. No problems, buddy. All right, take yeah. care of yourself. You guys have a good night, man. See you yourself, man. Bye.
Thank you.